1: going to be in Matthew 7. Okay, so the last time we covered, we're going through the parables, Jesus spoke about the parable of the wineskins, the parable of the ripped cloth. He also referred to himself as the, the great physician, spiritual physician, also the bridegroom. And today's message is, do you know the way? Really, we're going to look at the parable of the builders, but... There's, that's going to be the fourth illustration. Right? The first illustration is going to be the way, or the roads, or the gates. right? The, the, the road of life, we're going to talk about that. Uh, the second illustration is going to be spiritual fruit on a spiritual tree. We'll talk about that. The third will be religious charlatanry. And the fourth one is going to be, the again, the parable of the builders. Now, basically, the way is an interesting thing because... Jesus spoke of himself as the way. Uh, and when I ask the question, do you know the way? Not only is it a road of life, but it's also Jesus. So there's kind of two uh, pictures here, and we'll, we'll look at that. And I would add, if you don't know the way, do you want to know the way? So let's jump in. Matthew 7:13.
0: Jesus
1: says... Enter by the narrow gate. Now, I went into the Greek lexicon because different Bibles have different words, but they all mean the same thing. So the narrow gate, or the narrow entrance. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way, or the road, or the path, that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So if we could put up the first image, and I'll refer to it from time to time, but basically, there's two different paths in life and what they represent. Now, in context, Jesus finished speaking of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is, he's really ending his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, speaks about a lot of things, talks to people about living spiritually, how to live after God, and his teaching focuses now on how to get to heaven, or how to get to God. You know, it's funny, a lot of people wanna go to heaven but they really have not an interest or relationship with God, which is unusual because heaven is his home. He created heaven, right? That's where he was was going to live. He will live eternally with those that uh, trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, Jesus also speaks about how how to get to God, and that's through Christ himself and no other. Now, these two roads or these two ways, one leads to heaven and one leads to hell. And a lot of churches are shying away from talking about hell, because they don't want to lose membership, they want to attract people. But it's, it's an interesting thing. If you don't talk about something, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We could stop talking about gravity, because we don't like falling off ladders, and say, well, deceive ourselves that gravity doesn't exist. Well, you'll find out quickly, if you're on a ladder and you're not on good footing, and you fall, and you break something, you'll realize that gravity exists. So there are some truths that are out there that people don't want to talk about. Why did Jesus speak about these things? Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. That's why. He spoke about the warnings even more than he spoke about heaven because of his love for us and for a warning. It's just like a child, you do warn them about the hot stove. Not because you want to hurt their feelings, because you don't want them to get burned. Okay? So we can look at that. The majority of people don't make, to, make it to heaven, and really by their own doing. The wide road. Well, it's espoused by much of Hollywood, the media, academia, intelligentsia, false Christian leaders. The wide road teaches, any way to heaven, have it your way. Sort of like Burger King, you know, spirituality. Do whatever you want, it's going to be okay. I'm okay, you're okay. Or some, they want to work their way to heaven. Oh sure, that's fine, religion. But no cross, no denial of self. But Jesus said in John 14:3, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. It's a narrow road. And this is a paradox of exclusivity and inclus- inclusivity at the same time. Right? The exclusivity is the route. There's only one way. The inclus- inclusivity is the scope. It's a large scope. It's a large net. And anybody can go to heaven. Jesus made that very clear. You don't have to jump through hoops. You just have to believe that he died for our sins on that cross 2,000 years ago. The narrow road is fraught with trials, sacrifice, self denial. You know, it's a relationship with Christ. Proverbs Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is in destruction. So, again, we're either following our own path or we're following the path that the Lord wants us to follow. So, let me ask you, seeker, church attendee, which road are you on? You know, when we truly follow the Lord, there are things that. We sacrifice. There's times we deny ourselves. There's times that it costs us something. I can tell you right now that the persecuted church in Iraq and Syria, it's cost them their lives. It's cost them their homes. Just convert, and they'll leave you alone. I can't deny my Lord and Savior. If they're lucky enough to flee with nothing, if not, they get murdered. Um, All the statistics, even the secular ones, are saying or showing that Christians are the most persecuted people in the last several years? All over the country, all over the world, actually. You know? Is our Christianity mere profession and intellectual ascent, or is it a hard thing? Are we cultural Christians? Are we just adding Jesus to our pantheon of gods, including the God of ourselves? You know, I just want to encourage you, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, wow, it's a little heavy this morning, and I'm not really sure that I know the Lord, you can switch roads. That's the beauty of it. You can switch roads. People do it all the time. So if you look at the image, the narrow road, it's a little windy, it's a little, it's a little nebulous, not really sure. Uh, but the wide road, very few people are on the narrow road, by the way, to heaven. But the wide road, look, this guy's waving. <laughs> He's waving. Look, they're, they're holding each other. A whole bunch of people on the wide road, and what happens? It leads to everlasting destruction. Two roads. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the road. Verse 7, verse 15, excuse me. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So the second illustration, and we're talking about two different trees bearing corresponding fruits and what they represent. And let me be clear, we are responsible for what road we're on, what path we're on, we're responsible for what tree we're eating from, spiritually. It's called personal spiritual responsibility. And the image that I put up if we put up the second image, it's kind of creepy. Young, attractive person, that's actually the snout and the teeth and the tongue of a wolf coming out. And it doesn't mean that young, attractive people are problematic, but what it means is it's a, it's a picture of deception. So when we look at this, this image, and eventually we'll get to the, no, the, the, the next one, it's deception. And I put that one on purpose. It is really creepy looking. It looks like something out of a horror movie, but it caught my attention. Okay? Caught my attention. Not everything that we see. And in Western culture, we're driven by looks. That's the culture that we're in. Looks, looks, looks. So much pressure to look a certain way. Certain clothes, certain body types, certain hairstyles, certain... You know, it's just out there. Um, It's even in advertising. A lot of it's even subliminal. Okay? But it isn't about the appearance. It's about what's on the inside. You know, there's very attractive, well-mannered, well-spoken, polished preachers out there that are preaching false doctrine. Right? They're wolves. They're ravenous. Jesus says, they look to destroy you. Okay. Um, and again, it goes in different different ways. Whether it's the young, attractive person, I've seen situations where the person is in a walker and they're on oxygen, and there's this, another venue that I'm at and there's no oxygen, no walker, and they're fist fighting with somebody. Don't be deceived, right? Don't let your eyes deceive you. Jesus wants us to not use our eyes in a lot of ways, okay? But you'll know them by their fruits. Beware of false prophets, right? They'll disguise, but Jesus wants us to inspect the fruit. Second Corinthians 11, spiritual wolves will disguise themselves as spiritual sheep, as Satan will disguise himself as an angel of light, and his ministers, ministers of righteousness. Revelation thirteen eleven. the false prophet had little horns like a lamb. He had an appearance of, of lamb, like Jesus-like, but he spoke like a dragon. Again, don't be fooled by appearance. Don't be fooled by maybe awe-inspired ministry. What are they saying? What are they teaching? Very important. What a spiritual leaders saying? What's the Dalai Lama saying? What's the Pope saying? What are some of these televangelists on TV saying? Again, don't look at the numbers, don't look at the smiles, don't look at the attire. What are they saying? What's coming out of their mouth? Very important. I remember when Harold Camping was telling everybody the end of the world was coming in 1994. And then of course, 1995 came, so he changed his prophecies, said the end of the world is coming in 2011. Do You remember that? And 2012 came. <laughs> so the guy's a false prophet after the first one he's been doing this for years and i remember i would get so frustrated it was a righteous anger because i would see people and his his minions were out on the street handing out tracts like crazy the world is ending the world is ending people were selling their stuff and and it it frustrated me because i knew the world wasn't going to end then because god would not allow that as christians we have to we have to step aside from the weirdness we have to push the weirdness aside because that's not Christianity. People get turned off by that stuff. Check this out. Many find themselves on the wide road that leads to destruction because of who they're listening to. Right? Who are they following? So, in essence, the first illustration has to do with the path. The second illustration has to do with the guides that are on those corresponding paths. There's good teachers and there's bad teachers. You'll know them by their fruit. So at some point, we have to become discerning, we have to become fruit inspectors. See, there's this thing, and it usually happens when somebody is caring for another person, they're both Christians, and they say, listen, you shouldn't do that. It's really bad, it's, you're going to hurt yourself, you know, this is what the scripture says. Then the other person who's self-deceived turns around and says, don't judge me. The Bible says, I did a whole sermon on judging. Do you know that judging has a wide semantic range? So judging could be as simple as, I'm judging, I like the taste of this food versus that food. That's rotten, this is good. It's a judgment. Judgment goes all the way across the, the border until saying, to the, to the last part, again, same word, I'm, des- I'm deciding in this church who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. I don't know that. In that respect, I can't judge you. I wouldn't want to judge you. But there's a time and a place to judge. The Apostle Paul says if we judge ourselves, if we deal with ourselves, then God won't have to d- discipline us. So there is times to use our brains and to judge, to make a discerning, um, you know, don't just follow any teacher, right? In this instance, we're judging, and we're supposed to. Who's a false shepherd? Who's false sheep? The Apostle Paul spoke about false brethren that were running around and making a Christianity in their own image. He had a real problem with that. And you can see it in his letters. Um, John 15, well, let's just go to verse 19. It says, the bad trees are going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's not a pretty picture. John 15 says that the trees that bear no fruit are going to be cut and uh, thrown into the fire. right? So, when we look at fruit, what is fruit? A certain ministry is out there. Fruit is the teaching. It's the content and effect of the teaching. It's the manner of living. Does it match up to God's Word or is it hypocritical? Sometimes the... The, the one that's trying to exhibit tough love is looked at as loveless, not realizing as long as they're respectful and doing it in a loving manner, they're actually trying to save somebody's life, try to save their, their soul, the Bible talks to us about. So there's going to be a time, listen, if you're just going to hear a preacher who makes you feel good all the time, and the preacher admits, as some do, well, I'm just here to tell people uh, the positive stuff, well, then you're not a preacher. You're, you should do self-help, you should do encouragement, uh, you know, secular stuff, but you're not a preacher. Preachers has got to give the good with the bad. That's actually showing love. We could put up image three with the fruit, the trees. You know, and I, I've, I try to look at a lot of different things. I pour over these images to decide what to put up what you usually see in the good tree and the bad tree right usually see in, in many ministries is you see a beautiful tree and a decrepit tree i purposely found the one where you have the beautiful tree and the beautiful tree again we're talking about deception he says you'll know them by their fruits he didn't say you know them how by how pretty the tree is that's the problem people are draw, drawn to the prettiness of the trees but jesus says you've got to inspect the fruit one of these trees, if we're looking at the spiritual application, has good fruit, good teaching, good manner of living, and the other one has rotten fruit. It's poisonous. Stay away from that tree. Right? So I purposely put up two trees that look exactly the same. When it comes to spiritual fruit, what are we following? What are we consuming? Now here's another thing. You get into ministry and you start teaching. You start having authority or oversight In an ecclesiastical sense, what are we producing? What am I producing? Can you take my words and look in the Scripture and make sure it matches up? Am I producing good fruit? So if you have a desire to teach or to be in ministry, you have to look at your own fruit that you're producing. Okay? What type of fruit? You know, John 15 tells us, here's another thing, we could produce good fruit, bad fruit, or no fruit. In John 15, Jesus says that the tree that bears no fruit, the branches will be cut off and thrown into the fire. I mean, just to warm the pews in the church on Sunday, that's not what it means to be a Christian. Once in a while, I tinker with a car. My car doesn't make me a mechanic. You know what I'm saying? Are we really, do we know the Lord? Do we know the way or do we not? Verse 21, Jesus continues. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now this can be very confusing because Jesus says, he who does the will of my Father, well, isn't prophesying, casting, I'm painting myself into a corner here. Isn't prophesying, casting out demons and doing wonders and miracles, isn't that doing the will of the Father? Apparently this group of people, Jesus is saying no. Well, let's inspect it a little bit more. Talk is cheap, and so are some actions, if the motives are wrong, if the heart is wrong. Many throw around the words, Lord, Lord, Jesus, Jesus, God, God. It's in their vernacular. It's almost like a language. Somebody turned the, coined the term Christianese. It's like another language that you learn when you start coming to the church. But is it in our hearts? We can speak Christianese all we want, but Jesus can see through us. He can see through to our hearts. Now, for the new believer, don't panic. <laughs> Hopefully, and I encourage new believers who come up and receive Jesus to, to find somebody to mentor them to find somebody who's mature in the faith, who can help them when they stumble. I found somebody as a new believer because a lot of things confused me because I was a baby Christian. I didn't know anything. And if I didn't really have those good mentors, I might have followed some weird teaching and not, and not known it. Because I wasn't mature enough as a believer to discern the different types of fruits. Okay, but the truth is, we don't get to heaven by what we do. By being religious, giving money, doing works. Even serving, right? Being married to somebody in clergy, have Christian kids, have Christian parents. You see, a relationship with God is not by proxy, it's direct. And every person will stand before the Lord. Verse 22. This part in the beginning confused me. So, verse 22. Well, how could they do all these things if their heart wasn't in it? Make no mistake, the name of Christ is powerful. Using God's word is powerful. Check this out. Judas walked with Jesus. He was a traitor. He was stealing money on the side. Um, he was with the twelve. They, he probably got sent out two by two with another disciple. Partook probably, well definitely saw up front, the casting out of demons. Partook in the miracles, but he wasn't saved. Right? Look where Judas ended up. So I can see the power of this verse. Verse 23, in the judgment, Jesus will say, I never knew you if we didn't know Him. If we don't know Him now, He won't know us then. So we talked about the path. We talked about the guides. We talked about not to be fooled by what somebody says and does. Right? Don't even be fooled by miracles. You know, in the Old Testament, Moses did miracles by God's power. You know that Pharaoh's magicians also did miracles? Right? So, the, the enemy can do lying signs and wonders, the Bible tells us. We know that when the Antichrist comes, he'll be there with his false prophet, and they'll both be empowered by the dragon, by Satan, that gives them these, this limited power to do these false miracles. There's a whole signs and wonders movement where people just come to church to get a chill. They get to get chilled, they get excited. And unfortunately, their Christian experience is based on feelings now and emotions. It's not listen, sometimes it doesn't feel good. You know, I, I've done many weddings. I've said for better or for worse. Sometimes you're married, and sometimes you're going through the for worse part. Are you supposed to leave? No, you're supposed to tough it out. Well, when you have a walk with the Lord, we also go through tough times. The psalmist says it. Um, the apostle Paul spoke about it. Why should we think that we're immune? Just because we're going through a tough time and a trial doesn't mean we're not saved, doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. But we have to take the bitter with the sweet, don't we? Don't we? Verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Isaiah 44 speaks about the Lord as the rock. Now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. If we could put up the fourth illustration, Uh, this is depending on where you're sitting, how well you can see it. These are two identical homes, except this home was built on an unstable foundation. Um, you see this a lot in Florida. There's a certain type of bedrock, a shifting bedrock. has nothing to do with the Flintstones. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Um, let's see if you're awake. But basically, this house, this one's still standing. This one has a problem underneath that you can't see. And as the water keeps coming and coming and coming, it just erodes away, it erodes away at the bedrock. And then eventually it can't support the weight of the home, and it, it forms a sinkhole, and the, the whole part or all the home crashes. Right? It's not a good thing. you know. Universal, or water is the universal solvent, and it can eat away at pretty much anything. It can even erode rock over time. But in the spiritual realm, the home that Jesus is speaking about is our life, how we live, how we die. What happens after we die and step into eternity? What's the foundation? Christ needs to be that foundation. In Psalm 118, 22, he's the cornerstone. He's the most important part of the foundation. And when you build an edifice, I used to build homes. I have a builder up there in the balcony. Um, you have to make sure that the footings are there. You have to make sure that the materials of the foundation are good. Because you could make the house pretty and put on siding and fashion copper on the roof, and it's so pretty. But what good is it if the foundation's bad? Christ has to be our foundation, the foundation of our homes, of our lives. The storms represent trials, but they also represent the test In the end, when we die and we go before him, that's the ultimate storm. Are our lives built on Christ, or are they not? Here, let me encourage you, because some some might be struggling with this teaching. You know, Jesus was a master of getting our attention, and a lot of times what Jesus would do is he would shock the conscience. Peter said, should I forgive that guy seven times? Jesus goes, how about 70 times seven? Well, Peter thought he was being gracious by saying 70. He didn't expect the figure of 490. So Jesus, when he taught, would often shock the conscience of his hearer. Do I have your attention? And then he would explain, and then he would comfort and reassure. So I'm glad nobody left because this is the reassuring stage. Okay? If we could put up 1 John 5, 11 through 13... The Apostle John says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, or eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 13 is key. Here's the assurance part. Now some would say that's presumptuous to assume that you're saved. Not true. I read the Bible. That's where I get my information from, not a denomination. Verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may have assurance that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Wow. Last two verses, verse 28. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings. He saved the best for last, by the way. That's the thing that really stood out in their mind when they went home. That the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes or the religious leaders. And that's why at Calvary Chapel we like to go through the scripture. Who am I? Oh, Pastor Joe's authority means nothing. I tell you what the scripture says. Without the scripture, I'm nothing. I'm just another talking head. You know, just another person making noise out there. You know, We don't go through, well, this is what our denomination says, or this is what dead religionism says. And that's what the people looked at the scribes, and they were like, they didn't want to listen to them anymore. But when Jesus spoke, they, they were all ears. They were attentive, because he spoke with authority. Jesus was the logos, the word of God. So we went from the path to the guides, to the false guides, the false believers, and to our spiritual life, like into a building. And the only question to ask now is, what is your spiritual house built on? What's the foundation? We either know Christ or we don't. And if we don't know Christ, we know that we don't know Christ. We know that. We know that. Notice the picture, if we could keep that uh, house picture up. okay. Uh, basically, those two homes looked identical on the outside. And so do People. This is why I can't judge. This is why I read the scripture and I can't just pick out some Christian at random or somebody who goes to church and say that they're saved or not. I mean, if I know somebody really well, I can say that they are based on their devotion to the Lord and and being with them for a while, but I'm not going to make a determination who's saved and who's not. And I really believe too that at the end of our life, I was just talking to another uh, person in ministry from another denomination. We had such a great talk. And he started saying some things, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I feel that way too. God is so merciful on, on a person's deathbed, when a person's in a coma. Why does God allow that? And they could be lingering, and their heart is still beating, and their ears are still open, and their loved ones are whispering things into their ear. I really believe God is so merciful. Some people have to kind of be put to the point where they're catatonic for, for him to get their attention. I believe that in the end, a lot of people come to faith, right? So everybody looks the same on the outside. We all have flesh that covers everything. But it's on the inside that what, what counts, like these homes. It's the foundation that's what counts. In John 14, verse 23 through 24, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, And make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Our house is either built on the sand or it's built on the rock. And that rock, brothers and sisters, is Christ. So I ask, do you know the way? The way being Christ. And my last question is, if you don't know the way, do you want to know the way?
0: Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.